Good morning. Great to see uh, so many people back in church. Have you ever uh, got a friend or someone in your family that always seems to have a one-track mind? That it doesn't matter what you're talking about or what topic you might be able to be talking about, they always bring it back to a particular soapbox that they have, that they always want to talk about. There was a, a friend of ours who loved to have a laugh, loved to have a joke. In fact, everything that he said was basically setting up for a joke. And you'd be having a conversation with him and he'd be asking you lots of questions and he'd be like really engaged and you'd think, he's really interested in me. He really wants to know my opinion on this particular topic. But no, 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 no. He was just wanting you to say a particular phrase so that then he could launch off on a joke that he'd been thinking about. He loved comedy so much that he actually changed his work life so that he could uh, experience what it was to be a stand-up comedian. And so from that point onwards, his whole conversations with us were always around certain jokes that he'd been thinking about. In fact, he would call my husband and the only thing he would say is a joke that he'd been planning. And I knew that Cam was talking to him on the phone because Cam would say, hey, how are you going? And then just wouldn't say anything for the next five minutes while our friend would share the joke or the setup or the, the story that he's been planning. And then he would gauge Cam's response as to whether he laughed. And then Cam might give some feedback like, oh, I kind of saw where you were going there or oh, that was a surprise or that was really good or I like the way you phrased that. And then it'd be like, okay, thanks, bye. And that was it. That was the whole conversation. Everything about him was always setting up for a joke. So much so that he committed his whole life to it. Well, we are starting a series on Philippians, which is a book in the New Testament. And it's actually a book written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul certainly had a one-track mind. Everything that he talked about, everything that he wrote about was all about Jesus. Now, you might say to me, you know, he had a lot of hobby horses. He had a lot of soapboxes he liked to speak about. Yes, clearly Jesus was a key point. In fact, to all of the New Testament, okay? If Paul wasn't writing about Jesus then, his books probably wouldn't have been chosen for the New Testament. The New Testament is all about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he truly was the Son of God, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And then we read different letters and books of the Bible that help us understand what it was for the church to grow the church that had a focus on the one true God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus was a key part of Paul's writings. But the thing is, is that the reason he kept on about Jesus over and over again, because the people in the first century as well as I have to say myself today, and I see it amongst you know, our churches today, we tend to lose focus. 
Because if we call ourselves a Christian, if we have made a commitment of faith, then our one-track mind should always be about Jesus. And yet, so easily and so readily, our minds are detracted. Priorities are, are shifted. And suddenly we, we spend our time, our money, our focus, our conversations about things that are not honouring of Jesus Christ. And so when we read a book like Philippians or when we read through the Bible, when we come to church, we constantly need to remind ourselves, like Paul did, about Jesus because so often we forget and so often we are detracted by all the things, all the priorities that the world tells us to have front of mind and we forget that our main thing is about Jesus. You see, we don't remind you in our worship or in announcements or in our sermons the Bible doesn't talk about things that come naturally or easily to us, the things that we remember all the time. In our services, we don't say to people, just a reminder, please wear clothes when you come to church. Because we don't have to. Thankfully, you have all done that today. Maybe if you're watching online, maybe not so much. But you know, that's when you come into public. Thank you so much. Really appreciate everyone for wearing clothes. Just a reminder, next week, if you can wear clothes again next week, that'd be really great. We don't say it. We don't have to. It's already a part of our culture. It's already a part of what we do. It's natural. We all do it every day. You know, sure enough, during all our weeks of isolation, when we first came back to church, weren't sure what people would be wearing, but it is a given. We don't have to keep being reminded of these things. So when we hear of things in the Bible, when we preach on them, when we read about them, it's a reminder to us that God understands that these things are challenging and that we need reminding that with all the things that are happening in our world, all the priorities in our life, family, work, finances, friendships, whatever it might be, that to come back and have our focus on Jesus is the most important thing we can do on a daily basis. Now, before we read the first chapter, parts of the first chapter of Philippians, let's get a little bit of a context as to where Paul is writing. Because Paul has written a number of letters that we have in our New Testament. And this particular one is quite a joyful one. It's filled with love and appreciation, which isn't always the way because Paul is often writing into a crisis or into a church community that needs a lot of help. But in actual fact, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, to the, the church in Philippi that he planted while he is in prison. And you see, the thing is, is that Paul was a, a moving evangelist. He would go around telling people about Jesus Christ and planting churches. And he was moving into areas that uh, they, they didn't have Christian churches. They didn't have churches where people believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was moving out into some European countries as he went out 
The ruler, the Caesar at the time, didn't just want power and authority as the Caesar. He believed he was a god and he was worthy of being worshipped. So here you have Paul stepping into this culture saying, actually, the most important thing you can worship and for you to focus on is Jesus. Because Jesus points us to the one true God. Don't worship Caesar. Don't worship other gods. Worship the one true God through Jesus Christ. So, as you can imagine, this gets him in trouble quite a lot. So much so that he finds himself in prison. And it is a really difficult time. In fact, if you go on and read throughout the book, you find that it's so difficult, he does not even know if he's going to get out alive. And from what, reading between the lines, it's not just doesn't know if he can get out of alive because he may be executed, but how he is being treated in such a way. Because prisoners weren't often cared for, it was up to their family and friends around them to come and provide for them. But Paul, roaming around, being the evangelist that he was, I wonder whether he didn't actually have many people around, but he had been in Philippi, planted a church of faithful people there. They had found out that he was in prison and they had sent him an incredible gift of finances to help support him while he is in prison. And this letter to the Philippians is Paul's response writing back to this church after receiving this incredible gift as a way of saying thank you. He's so appreciative. There's so much affection that you read through this book. It's like, it's one of our favourites in the New Testament because it's filled with so much love and affection. Because even though he is in such a bad place, he has received this incredible gift from people who love him and support him. And he writes this letter back. But we know Paul can't just write back and say, thanks so much. No, this is an opportunity again for him to bring them back to Jesus. And he does so. So let's read Philippians chapter 1. I'm just going to read from verse 3 to 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then Paul has a prayer for the people. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a beautiful prayer. What a prayer of desiring 
nothing but good for the people. A love that has knowledge and depth of insight, discernment that is pure and blameless and that ultimately gives glory and praise to God. And I love that we have this in our New Testament, in the book of Philippians, because it is not just a beautiful prayer for those that gave to the Apostle Paul, but this is a prayer that we can pray over ourselves and pray over other believers, that we have a love that shapes our life in such a way that we live out the calling of God on our life. Now, we often talk about a calling on our life, what God is calling us to, whether it's something calling him us out of something or calling us to something. And I know particularly with our, our young people, we talk about uh, direction and decisions that they have to make. You know, right from an early age, as soon as, you know, they're teenagers, we're saying, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be? What's the calling that God has on you? What are the gifts and abilities that you have? And we often hear it in Christians' terminologies that they feel called to this or called to that. The thing that that Paul is reminding us through this prayer that Jesus actually has a calling on every single person's life. Now, there is different directions and different decisions that we can make. And God is definitely interested in that. And he wants us, he wants to be a part of the decisions that we make and the direction that we take. But there is a call on every single person's life, that when you say you are a Christian, when you decide to follow Jesus, it is the same calling for every single one of us. And Jesus was so clear about it. It's recorded in Matthew. He says, Jesus replied, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the first and the most important commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the call that every single person who calls themselves a Christian, that is what we are called to do and be. That is how we are called to live. In fact, Jesus says in John, it is such a strong calling on your life that people will recognize that you are following me by how you love. In John, he says that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the call that is on each person's life. And this is what Paul is drawing out. Understanding he has already experienced an incredible act of love from these people, a generosity. Someone has gone out of their way, coming into dangerous territory to give this financial gift to Paul. He's feeling the love, right? But he goes even further to say, may your love abound more and more. And often when we think of love, we think of that affection. I mean, he even says it, you know, how much he loves with the affection of Jesus towards these friends of his, these partners who have supported him in ministry. 
But often when we think of love, we just think about the heart, the affection, the nice warm feeling. It's all about the heart. But the love that we express through Jesus Christ was never meant to separate the heart from our head. It was never meant to just be something that feels good or an emotion or feels at the appropriate time to give. No, the love that we express through Jesus Christ is a love of the heart and the head, that we are discerning. Paul says in this verse that we have a love that abounds in knowledge, in depth of insight, in discernment, that is pure and blameless. Because how often do we love just when it feels right? I mean, for me, a really good way to determine how I am feeling is how I am driving. If I am feeling great, if I'm in a good mood, if the sun's shining, if everything's going well, when I'm driving along, I'm like, sure, come on into my lane, no problem. Hi, yeah, come on through. I'm the happiest driver in the world. But when nothing has gone my way that morning, when I'm running late, when I'm stressed, when there's so much to do, oh, really? I didn't see your indicator there, did I? I mean, I would never do that. But if I was in that position, don't ask my children, all right? Because I'm not feeling it. Why would I let them in? I don't feel like I want to. And so often when we share love, when we give love, we only do so when we feel like we want to or when everything is right oh, I'll do that, you know, when my finances are sorted out, or I'll do that when I'm on holidays, or I'll give generously or show love when, when I'm in a better mood. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say love God and love others when everything is sorted, or only in summer. No, it's an everyday choice to love, not just with a heart, affection, emotion, but with everything that we are. Gordon D. Fee wrote commentaries on Philippians, and he writes this, thus the primary connotation of love is not affection, as in the preceding phrase about Christ, when Paul talks about loving the Philippians with this affection of Christ, but rather a sober kind of love that places high value on a person and actively seeks that person's benefit. The rest of the prayer, after all, emphasizes love, not as affection, but as behavior. Behavior that is both pure, stemming from right motives, and blameless, lacking offense. You see, God has given us the ability to have knowledge and depth of insight so that we can act in such a way that is pure, good motives, and that is blameless, that we are setting out to appreciate 
what the other person actually needs. Great way to help us understand this is through my dog, Nasha. Now, she is still a puppy. She's seven months old. And while she looks very calm here, she loves other people and dogs. As soon as someone will come to our house, anyone who's come to our house will attest that as soon as you walk in, she is on you like a magnet. And she will lick your leg and she will jump and she, her tail will wag her whole body and she will be so excited because clearly you have come just to show her love, right? That is her understanding. And it doesn't matter if you are not a dog person. It doesn't matter if you are allergic to dogs. No, your sole purpose in her mind is to give her love. In fact, I was out walking her the other day and I've noticed that if I walk her and she sees someone, she realises, oh, that is a person and it is their sole purpose in life to give me love and affection. So all she will do is go to that person. And I am holding her lead as she's heading towards that person, trying to discern, is this a dog person? Is this person happy to pat? I mean, she's tiny, but still, I was never a dog person before she came along. And, you know, they're always the people that the dogs go to, right? So I was walking along our street, and there was a gentleman walking uh, behind us. He uh, had a shaved head. He had a full tattooed leg. His, he was wearing all black and he had a piercing through his nose. And he was on the phone. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to discern, okay, is this a dog person or not? Because all types of people can be dog people, right? Anyway, Nasha discovers that he is behind us. And so she's straight behind and I am holding the leash hut and she, she is just, all she wants to do is to be with this, with this guy. And I'm looking at him and I'm trying to discern and he's like not making eye contact. Anyway, I'm like, come on, Nasha, come on. You're trying to be like, come on, Nasha. You know, and she, we call it concrete bottom. She is sitting there. She will not move until this guy has come up to her, right? Anyway, so I'm awkwardly standing at the side of the road with my dog. And fair enough, I wasn't a dog person either. He walks over the other side of the road on his phone and keeps walking. Well, once she sees that he has walked past us, she's happy to follow him. And I'm happy to have her at a distance because finally I've got her moving again. Right? My dog has no knowledge or depth of insight. Her motives are not pure. It is all about what she can receive from the people around her. You are not Nasha. I am not Nasha. I'm not nearly as cute. I mean, let's be honest. But we have been given knowledge and depth of insight. We have been given the ability to have these things. And when it comes to our love, when it comes to living out a life that gives glory to God, in Paul's words, his desire for and his prayer for us to have a love that is not just 
self-seeking is not just about affection when we feel good, but is so deep in the understanding of who our God is and who Jesus Christ is, that we love with knowledge and insight, with discernment for the other person, as well as our gifts and abilities. Because let's be honest, it's really easy to love when things are going well, but remember the context? Paul is in prison. And later on in this book, we, we find out that he is even very committed to showing the love of Jesus Christ, even to those who are his guards and who have him imprisoned. That is a love with knowledge and insight. That is a love with discernment. That is not just a love about affection and feeling good. He goes on in this chapter to say, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This has been a conviction for me. Do I live my life in such a way that I conduct myself with a love that brings knowledge and discernment and insight that is pure and blameless so that in all that I do, I live in a way that gives glory and praise to God. What does your year ahead look like? Have you made plans or decisions? Is there directions you're wanting to take this year? If you're like me, to think of a whole year is, is too much. For me, what is this week like for me? Have I created space to share love that brings knowledge and insight? In the plans that we make, in the way that we are spending our money, in the way that we are spending our time, in all that we do, are we showing a love that is so connected to Jesus Christ that it gives glory and praise to our God while we are here on earth? How great was it to hear about all the things that people have been doing in our church the camps that they've been leading on, the beach missions that they've been a part of, the mission trip that uh, those that went to the Philippines has, have gone on. These are people who have made decisions about spending time and resources. Can I just say that all those young adults that are on that camp, they all pay money to go and lead those kids. They all pay for the accommodation and the food. They pay for the privilege of actually helping and leading other children in a life to encourage them in their faith. That is an incredible commitment. We don't have to be on camp. We don't have to go overseas. We don't have to be on a beach mission. But what about your life? What about within your family, in your workplaces? in your neighbourhoods? Are you loving people in such a way 
with knowledge and depth of insight, that people know that you are different, that people can see that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, that it gives praise and glory to God through how you live. That is the prayer that Paul has for those in Philippi. And that is the prayer that we have for all of us, you and I alike today, that we will start this year in such a way that we will be inspired to love God and love others with such knowledge and insight that our world will be different because it will give praise and honour to God. Let me pray for you. Let me pray this prayer from Philippians over you. Lord Jesus Christ, you gave us the ultimate example of how to live and how to love. And so this is my prayer today for every single person, whether you're here in the building or whether you're online watching. My prayer through the words of the Apostle Paul for each one of us is that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best for those in your family, for those in your neighbourhood, for those that you work with, for your friends, and that your love may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And that the love that we give will give glory and praise to you, O God, who is so worthy of it. And we pray this in your mighty, glorious, loving name. Amen.